if you have, you are a child of God. You are a, a brother of Christ, a joint heir with Him, the Bible says. And that's the most important relationship you could ever have, is to be a child of God. Jesus makes this point clear, this idea of uh, this spiritual relationship being more important than this uh, physical relationship uh, a few different times in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, we read this. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother, this is talking about Mary, his mother and his brethren, which would have included Jude and James, uh, and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. What was Jesus saying there? It didn't, it, it, the, the physical relationship wasn't what was important. Those who are disciples of Christ, those who believe in him and follow him and trust him, they are his family. And this morning, uh, that, uh, that is the most important decision we can make is to become uh, a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' true family are those who are born into the kingdom of God through him. And so that message is for us as well this morning. And so Jude calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ, uh, the, ser the, the servant here. And he lives to serve the Lord, uh, not himself. And that's an important distinction when you continue to read in Jude. There were those who crept into the church and they lived to serve themselves. They lived to serve their flesh and their own desires. But that was not Jude. He lived to serve his Lord. Jesus Christ. His ministry was not for his own selfish gain. His ministry was for his master. And so after introducing himself as the servant of Christ, Jude addresses his audience. Who, who is he writing this letter to? And he gives three descriptions that I want to consider. Uh, and th these, uh, these, this description is for those who are called to contend. And so first he writes to those, uh, to them that are sanctified in verse 1. He's writing to them that are, that are sanctified. And so this word sanctified, it has the idea of being made holy, being made set apart unto God. It's the opposite of being common. Uh, and so through Christ, uh, once a person has been saved, they are pulled out of the world, they are pulled out of sin, and they are set apart unto God and unto holiness and unto righteousness. We are called uh, to, live, uh, to live above sinfulness. We are called to live in righteousness through Christ. It is through Christ, if you've been saved, it is through Christ that you are sanctified, that you are set apart unto God, not unto sin, not unto flesh, not unto our own desires, but we are set apart unto our Lord Jesus Christ. And so sanctification is only for the Christian. It is only those who have been born again who can be sanctified, who can be set apart unto God. And so we, we need to be saved, to be set apart, to be sanctified. And so if you are saved here this morning, we should be encouraged knowing that we have a higher calling. Not to sin, not to selfish desire. Our high calling is to Christ and to, and to God and to serve Him. And so we have uh, this, re this responsibility. It is Christ who sanctifies us, but we also have the responsibility as Christians uh, to serve Him and to obey Him and to live for Him. As we'll see, there were those in the church who were teaching the complete opposite. They were teaching things saying, oh, 
Christ, God loves you. He's forgiven you. So just go ahead and live however you want. And sin as much as you want. It doesn't matter. But as we'll see, that is not uh, our calling as Christians. Our calling is to obey and, and uh, serve our Lord and to be sanctified and to be set apart. And so, so we have this. Uh, so, so he's writing to those who are, who are sanctified and set apart. And, and this is your memory verse for this week. But Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 7 and 8 says this. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. This morning, the question is, are you sanctified to the Lord? Uh, Christ has set you apart in one sense, if you've been saved, in that you've been uh, washed clean from your sin. You've been set apart in service, uh, for service to Christ. And that's something only Christ can do is to, to save us and to make us clean and, and to make us holy. That's something only Christ can do. But in our daily lives, we also have this responsibility to obey our Lord in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes. Are you living to be set apart unto Christ? Or do you live uh, allowing the, the flesh to, in, in our attitudes with one another to, to lead you? Are we allowing our sinful flesh to lead us in our actions, doing things that we know we ought not to do, whether it's, it's lying or living in greed or living with pride or living with bitterness? That is not being set apart unto Christ. To be set apart unto Christ is to live in righteousness, to, to live with forgiveness of others, to live with a love for others, to live with a service uh, to others, to not be proud, but to be humble, uh, to, to uh, produce the fruits of the Spirit in our life through Christ and through His Spirit. And so this morning, first, he's writing to those that are sanctified. And so we need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart to Christ. Number two, he writes to those that are preserved in Jesus Christ. Uh, in verse 1, he says, uh, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. It's Christ who preserves the Christian. It's Christ who keeps us safe in his care. He's, this word preserve, it has the idea of setting a watch over something, uh, putting walls around something, keeping something guard. It's Christ who does that. When someone is saved, we don't, it's not our responsibility to somehow hold on to our salvation so we never lose it and it never escapes us. Christ does that. When we are saved, we are placed in the hand of Christ. We are placed in the hand of God. And nobody can separate us from the love of God. We are forever secure in Him. When somebody is saved, they, they cannot lose that salvation because it is Christ who preserves us. And that should encourage us this morning. As we consider this idea of contending for the faith. If you're going to contend for the faith, if you're going to fight for the faith, how can you fight for something you're not certain of, that you're not settled in? If you don't have an assurance of your salvation and you don't know that you are saved and your faith is not in Christ, how are you going to contend for that faith? And so we need to be encouraged and reminded this morning, if we have been saved, it is Christ who preserves us. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This morning, we can be encouraged uh, knowing that if we have been saved, it is Christ who keeps us saved, who keeps us secure. He sets a watch over us. 
He cares for us as we live the Christian life and we go through trials and we go through temptation and we go through spiritual attack. We have a Lord, we have a shepherd who has set a watch over us and he keeps us secure. The devil cannot take us away from our Heavenly Father. Uh, we cannot take ourselves away from our Heavenly Father. Our sin cannot separate us from God. Another person cannot separate us from God. Our family cannot do that. Our circumstances cannot do that because Christ keeps us secure. And that should encourage us that we are preserved in Him this morning. This morning, do you have that assurance of salvation? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you know that you're saved? Uh, if you have repented of your sin, if you have placed your faith in Christ alone, I'm here to tell you, well, the Word of God is here to tell you this morning that you are secure in Christ, and you cannot lose that salvation. And salvation is not something we do, you know, we don't get saved on Monday, and then we have to get saved again on Tuesday, and then have to get saved again on Wednesday, and then have to get saved again on Thursday. You're saved once, and you're saved forever through Jesus Christ. And that should encourage us this morning. As we contend for the faith, it's imperative that we are certain of that faith in the first place, and be reminded that we are preserved. Number three, uh, we see that he's writing to those who are called. At the end there, at the end of verse one, he says, and called. Called. The word called has the idea of being invited, of answering the, the call of the message of the gospel. Only those who have answered the call of the gospel message, and that call is to, put, to repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. Only those who have answered that call are saved. Jesus made it clear many are called. Many hear the gospel. Many hear how to be saved, but not all uh, decide to put their faith in Christ. Some resist the call of the gospel. Some, uh, as believers, when we fail in our responsibility to share the message of the gospel, others do not hear that call. And the Bible makes that clear in Romans 10, 13 through 17. Uh, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he asks this question, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I uh, were to call or if Sarah were to call me on the phone, and I never answered. She just kept calling, and I, just let, I looked at it, and I let the phone ring. Well, a couple of things would happen. I would be sleeping on the couch, probably, or maybe with Magnum on his comfortable bed. Uh, but I would not, uh, uh, she would not be happy. And so, but, but another thing that would happen, if my wife called me and I never picked up the phone, I wouldn't be able to talk to her. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't answer the phone. And so the same is true when it comes to salvation. When somebody hears the message of the gospel, and they hear how to be saved, there is a responsibility on their part to receive that gift of salvation, to answer the call, to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And our responsibility as Christians is to, uh, to tell others that message so they can answer that call. And so this message, uh, or this, this uh, letter that Jude has here, it's for those who have answered the call, for those who have been saved. Uh, Christians are the ones that contend for the faith. If you, haven't, if you don't have the faith, you can't contend for it. You can't fight for it. And so Jude is writing to those who are saved, uh, those who have answered the call, those who have understood 
their sin and understood that Christ has, has died for their sins, was buried, and rose again, and they have placed their faith in Christ alone for salvation. If you've done that this morning, you've answered that call, and now you need to tell others about that message so they can answer that call as well and be saved. And the work continues. And so, uh, and so this is for those who are called. So we see who is to contend. It's those who are preserved, uh, those who are sanctified, and those who are called. Number two this morning... We see the importance of contending. The importance of contending. Look at verse number 3, if you would. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude, originally, he says here, he wanted to write to these early Christians. He wanted to write to them about the common salvation. And that word common, it, has the, it doesn't mean normal or uh, simple. It's the idea of a community. Uh, and so, John, and so this, this word it has the idea of those who are in Christ and in a community of other believers who are also in Christ. When you got saved, uh, you have a new family that spans the globe. If you've been saved, our immediate family, of course, here is our, our local church that God has called us out of the world to assemble with our local church to worship Him, to love one another, and to preach the message of the gospel to the lost. And so if you've been saved, you have this common salvation that is common to those who have it. It, it, it puts us in a community with other believers. And it puts us in a community with those around the world. There are Christians around the world that you'll never meet in this lifetime, but in the next, in heaven, you'll get to see and you'll get to celebrate and worship God with. Because through Christ, we're placed in this, in this uh, community, this common salvation. And so Jude wanted to write an encouraging letter about this uh, common salvation. He wanted to write uh, a joyful letter about this thing that they all had in common, but instead there was a problem in the church and he had to address it. Uh, he says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. And so they were to earnestly contend, passionately and fervently and continuously fight for the faith. It's a never-ending task. And he says here, As a faith that was once delivered to the saints. In other words, it's not a new thing that they're defending. It's an old thing. And it would continue on. And that's an important distinction to make. These false teachers who were coming in, they were trying to present a new faith, a new doctrine, a new idea. And Judas saying, no, the faith that you need to fight for is something that's old. It's something that was set up before the foundation of the world. That, uh, and it is the faith of the gospel. And that is what they were to contend for uh, as, as saints, as the church. And so what is the faith that we contend for? This is not a call to contend for our own personal uh, traditions. Uh, traditions have their place in our life, but they are not our faith. They are not what we rest our faith on. Just uh, for instance, we sing hymns here. We love to sing the hymns at our church, but we understand that's not our faith. Uh, singing a hymn is not what's going to get you 
to heaven. It's Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so those things have their place, but that's not the faith we contend for. The faith we contend for is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the fundamental doctrines of the faith. We need to make sure that we understand what we mean when we say we contend for the faith. We're contending for the fact that Jesus literally died, he was literally buried, and he literally arose again from the dead. And uh, we contend for the fact that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We contend uh, for things like the, the virgin birth of Christ, the doctrine of a literal heaven and a literal hell, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. We contend for things like the doctrine of sin, that we have all sinned and broken God's law, and, and so forth. We contend for things that are fundamental to the faith. And so when we're distracted, uh, contending about things that are not our faith, uh, fighting with other believers uh, about, uh, you know, the, they don't use hymns, and so they're, they're not really in the faith. We're dis the devil uses that to distract us from contend contending for the real faith, and that's the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the trap that the Pharisees fell into. They omitted the weightier matters of the law for things that were not uh, as important. And so we need to be careful of that trap. Those things have their place, and, and we should know our beliefs. So when it comes to our personal convictions, but again, our faith is Jesus Christ. It is who we contend for. When we contend about those things that are on the side, we find ourselves contending not against the devil, not against the world, not against uh, false teachers, but against one another, against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we waste our energy. And so we need to understand uh, what we contend for. Uh, we should not be distracted by the, the things that the devil wants us to be distracted by. And so just as it was needful for Jude to exhort them to contend uh, we also have the same call uh, to contend. False teachers did not exist only in the early church. They exist today. They infiltrate churches today. Today, they don't even need to walk into the door. Uh, today, false teachers infiltrate our lives online, uh, again, on the radio, where, wherever it may be. They, a false teacher doesn't even have to come into the church doors to infiltrate a church. Uh, he just has to infiltrate the mind. And so we need to be careful who we are listening to in matters uh, of theology. It doesn't matter if they're well-spoken, if they have a pedigree, if they are nice, if they have a smile on their face. Uh, what matters is what are they saying? What are they teaching? What are they preaching? Is it true and faithful to the Word of God? And so we should be on the lookout for uh, false teachers. One example today, a very uh, influential false teacher uh, is uh, Andy Stanley. He's, uh, a godly, or he's the son of a godly man, Charles Stanley, I love listening to Charles Stanley, and his, he's a faithful Bible teacher, but his son is a dangerous teacher who teaches, teaches that we don't need the Old Testament anymore, uh, that the Bible isn't the foundation of our faith, is our experience should be the foundation of our faith. We need to be careful of people like this who stray from the, the, having the Word of God as a foundation for our faith and exchange it rather for uh, our feelings or our experiences because our feelings and experiences, uh, we cannot always trust them. They often contradict God's Word uh, because we're not comfortable sometimes with God's Word and its conviction. And so we need to be careful of false teachers in our life and who we listen to. False, uh, false teachers, though, they certainly still can enter a church physically. And so we need to be on, on the lookout for those, uh, those that we listen to. We should be like the Bereans. I think about the Bereans. Uh, even the Apostle Paul 
came and preached to the Bereans. But what does the Bible say? The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because the Bereans, when Paul preached, they received the word uh, with readiness, but they, they examined what Paul was saying. They, they tested it against the word of God. And so even the Apostle Paul had to be tested by the Word of God. Uh, and so that's our call as well. Whoever it is that we listen to uh, preaching or teaching the Word of God, we need to examine it by the Word of God. And uh, that is how we test false, false teaching or true teaching. And so we see the importance of contending. Finally, what's the reason? Why, do we, why should we contend? Verse 4, if you could look there. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude makes it clear here that there were, there were certain men, the, these specific people that he was thinking about, they had crept into the church unawares, and the enemy was already in their midst, already doing damage. In other words, this wasn't a defensive fight that they needed to fight. This was an offensive fight. They needed to examine themselves and root out these false teachers. This word here to uh, unawares, it has the idea of a sneak attack, of sneaking into a city. Uh, the sneak attack is a common method in, in war. Uh, why go through the front gates where they can see you if you can sneak around through the side gates or some other way? Uh, and so that's the idea of creeping in unawares. There's an account in the Bible where David uh, tells his mighty men uh, that whoever would go through uh, a gutter, uh, that's a, a conduit for water, whoever, whoever would sneak into that, whichever of his mighty men would sneak in through that gutter and overthrow the Jebusites, um, in the city of Jerusalem, they would become his captain. And that was Joab. Uh, Joab ended up becoming David's captain because he snuck through this gutter into the city that was heavily fortified. And some people believe he may have snuck, snuck into this city and uh, took out the guards and opened the gates so that the rest of David's men could come in and conquer the city of Jerusalem. They snuck in through a side way, not through the front gate. 2 Samuel 5, 8 uh, is that account it says, And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter, and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame and the blind, that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And so we read that that was Job. They, they snuck through this, this gutter, this side gate, if you will. And that is a picture of what false teachers do. They don't come flashing ahead a sign saying, I'm a false teacher, listen to me. Uh, I'm going to lead you astray from the gospel. Follow me. They don't come in that way. They sneak in through the side. They come in uh, craftily. And, and so we need to be uh, on the lookout. We need to be aware. And if we're going to do that, we need to know what is true and what is right uh, so that we can spot the difference. I think about my, my brother-in-law when he was... Uh, before he was married to my sister, he worked at uh, a bank in Alaska. And when he went to apply for a job there, he told me that um, during the application process, they brought him into uh, this room. They gave him a stack of money, and they turned off the lights. And one of the bills in there was a fake, and the rest were real. And so with the lights off, he had to be able to, just by feeling, spot uh, the fake dollar bill that was in that stack uh, of money. And so 
the idea there was that you had 99 real dollar bills and one fake one, and you became familiar uh, with the feel of the real dollar bill after handling it so much that when you felt the fake one, it was very obvious uh, what was the counterfeit. And so when it comes to, under, to fighting false teachers, that's the same idea. We need to be so familiar with the truth of God's word that when we hear teaching that is contrary to it, 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 it's, uh, it's obvious that we, we should avoid it, that we should run from it, that we should call it out, and that we should resist it. Uh, and so this morning, our call is to become familiar uh, with the Word of God if we're going to contend for our faith. Uh, uh, and so we see here that uh, Jude, he was describing these men in verse 4. Uh, he, he says that they were ungodly men. And the false doctrine that they were teaching, sometimes we think false doctrine is just uh, a different gospel, and that is false doctrine. But their false doctrine, their false gospel was to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's the idea of, well, I'm saved, and I'm forgiven, and God loves me, and so I can just live however I want. I can sin as much as I want. I can live according to the flesh, and it doesn't matter because I have my fire insurance, and God doesn't care. Of course, that is, that is not true. Uh, we know that is false from the Word of God. And so we see in John chapter 8 and verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. The idea of committeth there, it's continually committing sin without any sense of shame or reproach, and you enjoy it, and you love it, and you just keep on participating in it. And so, that, and so we know that this doctrine of, of turning God's grace into lasciviousness, it's a false teaching. Galatians 5.13 for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We have been saved. We have been forgiven. We cannot lose our salvation. We are kept secure in Christ's hands. But that does not mean we have the right in that liberty to go off and live in sin without a care in the world what God thinks. We are to live righteously. We are to live in obedience and service to God. And so these false teachers were abusing God's grace. And they were leading many in the church into sin and destruction. They denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They may have claimed to love Jesus. And false teachers always do. They say, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I follow him. But by their teaching, by their actions, we know that they do not love Jesus Christ. They love a false Jesus. They love a false Christ. And so they, they denied the Lord Jesus, he says here. By the way, it's easy for us to talk a good talk about how much we love Jesus, but that, do our actions prove it? Does our lifestyle show that we actually love Jesus, or is it all empty talk? And is our faith simply words, but there's no action to our faith? And so if we love Jesus, we should talk about how much we love Jesus, but our actions should also show how much we love Jesus. Our faith should always result in action, in service. And so these ungodly men, Jude says here in verse 4 that they were ordained to this condemnation. In other words, God is not caught by surprise, even if the church members were. Uh, they seem to be oblivious to the fact that there were false teachers in their midst. But they were ordained of old to condemnation. God knew it ahead of time. God was aware. And so uh, God knows, and God will judge them. And so we are to be vigilant. We are to contend but it is God who will condemn. It is God who will judge these men with great wrath. And so we do not have to fear uh, these ungodly men. We do not have to fear false teachers. 
We just need to be aware that they are there, and when we spot them, we need to uh, fight against the, that false teaching and resist it. And, uh, and so we do not have to be afraid of them. We have our Lord who keeps us secure. So this morning, we see our call is to contend. You might be thinking, oh, that's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. This world will present us with all sorts of ideologies, and they sound great. Uh, things like follow your heart, and uh, you're good enough, and love is love, and all roads lead to heaven. All these false ideas that the world tells us, but you won't find them in the Word of God. And so we need to know the truth. We need to be reminded who we are in Christ. If you've been saved, you've been called into His family, we've been preserved by Him, we are kept secure by Him, we are set apart unto Him to live for Him, we are called by Him, we've answered that call, and we've, uh, we, we've had that salvation. And so when we're reminded of these truths, that, that uh, Christ is on our side, it should encourage us to contend. And don't give up, and don't be afraid of false teachers, but know the truth and fight for it. Fight against those who tell you that you can live in sin and it does not matter. Fight against those who tell you you can just work your way to heaven and it's okay. Fight against those who say, uh, it doesn't matter, all roads lead to heaven, anybody. Uh, it doesn't matter what a person believes, they can be saved uh, as long as they're faithful to their belief. Fight against that and stand up for the truth and don't give in. And so our, our source of truth, again, needs to be uh, the Word of God. And if anything contradicts it, we are to earnestly contend against it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day that you've given us.